0: You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Good morning, church. Today's teaching text comes from Jeremiah seventeen seven to 10. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good, my friends. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Patrick Boatwright, one of the pastors here at Oaks Church, and um, going to bring us the word of the Lord today. But I'm just going to lead us in prayer first. Lord, uh, not your will, not my will, but yours. Not my words, but thine. Lord, you speak to us through your word. Uh, May it confront us today. And may that not be a thing we run from but embrace. Your word tells us that the kisses of an enemy are to be despised but the wounds of a friend are to be cherished. So show us ourselves that we may better see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, if uh, you are new here, if you haven't been here the last two weeks, uh, we've been in this teaching series, Rooted Community. And the impetus for that series is that we are embarking upon, as a a people, uh, establishing a a centered set, a a group of people who have committed themselves to the flourishing of this church. They are are serving as the root system for Oaks Church. We've made it very simple. and that's not necessarily for everyone. And so for some of you, this may feel like a little inside baseball, and that's okay. There will always be space at the table for those who are just passing by and in need of a meal. But what we are looking for uh, and what, we're, what who I'm talking to today, particularly, who's being centered is a group of people who are going to dedicate themselves to setting the table, putting out chairs, bringing the food so that those that are hungry and can't for themselves, they find a place of life, love, and live, laugh, love, is that where I was going? <laughs> <laughs> where you can just be known. That's what I'm talking to, about. So the first week I talked about that, the what of what we're doing, this rooted community. Uh, last week I talked about the, the why. Well, why do we even need to make such a division uh, amongst people why can't we all just kind of be all together and what we've talked about is that there's there's a need for like a tree that it has to have roots that that which which brings it down into the water that provides the nourishment that it needs to live and also fortifies it for the incoming winds of, of life right and so this community is gonna stand the test of time it's gonna need some people that say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself to making sure that this is a place of flourishing and health. So that's the why. And today we're talking about the how. That all sounds great, but what does that look like? What would I be getting myself into? It's a fair question and a necessary question. Uh, so we've been using this teaching text in Jeremiah as really framing our understanding of this rooted community. And there's something here today as we, as we wrap up this passage uh, that really we have to deal with if we're gonna talk about the how. Because see, when we're talking about the how that we're gonna do something, what is implicated is the mechanisms that allow us to function. Where does our how come from? Where does our doing flow from? Now, in the scriptural witness, the Hebrew understanding carrying on in Jesus, the the how, the, 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 the chief mechanism for doing is one's heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And the heart in the Hebrew conception is is literal heart. Hebrew is this uh, concrete language where at the root of words there exists uh, something that can be observed and tested by the five senses, right? And so you have something concrete upon abstractions, right? Abstractions are built on something concrete. So the heart is your literal heart that's in the center of your body that keeps you alive. And also it becomes abstracted by the thing that grounds you, the thing that gives you life the thing that pumps your blood, that thing is where your actions flow from. But here's what's at issue. We've had this beautiful picture in Jeremiah of this tree that's that's fortified. It doesn't fear in times of heat. It has no worries in a year of drought, right? And then there's this left turn because the Lord says this in verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. So if we're gonna become this tree, these rooted people, whose trust is in the Lord and whose confidence is in him, and we're gonna live that out together, and all that flows from my heart, but my heart is deceitful, then how is this ever gonna work? As I mentioned with the Semitic languages, concrete languages, the word deceitful there, its root, the five senses, is that of a a hill, a a, a knoll, this, this kind of bump in a flat landscape. Uh, I, don't, I didn't really understand that. In some ways, I'm actually still doing some linguistical research to understand why, why is a, a hill the picture of deceitfulness and trickery? And as I was starting my research, something is becoming apparent. We have to remember that these scriptures and the Hebrew people that it was written through and for, did not exist in a vacuum. And so you have other cultures by which the scriptures are often interacting with, commentating on, uh, creating comparison with. About six to 700 years before the scriptures were written, you had the Iliad and the Odyssey, which were these Greek mythology that was codified uh, oral traditions, stretching back even further. And this was widely known in the Eastern world, right? Most civilizations were familiar with the stories that that were found in the Iliad and in the Odyssey. One of those is the story of Syphysis. So if you don't remember, Syphesis is this, this, uh, he was this Greek king, he was this avaricious king who who lived by his own desires, right? He was was greedy and he desired to use people to to, to build up his fame and to institute uh, his his pleasure and his desires, so he lived by his desires. And when he dies, he is gonna be sent to this this punishment, Uh, he's gonna be chained up forever. But Sisyphus is, is very smart. He's a trickster. And so when he gets, uh, when, the, when the, the grim reaper figure comes to take him to this final fate, he realizes, oh, I, something's wrong here. And so when he's showing, when this grim reaper figure is showing him the chain, Sisyphus says, oh, that's interesting. Can you show me how these chains work? And apparently there's a reason this figure was put on death patrol, because it wasn't very bright. So he puts the chains on his wrists, and then Sisyphus locks him into this torture device, and then goes back to earth and continues living, right? And so he continues his greedy ways until such a time that he dies again. But before he dies, Sisyphus has this plan. He tells his wife, hey, don't follow our our rituals and customs, which, which would mean that you would, you know, do rites and passages, you would bury me in the ground, you'd mourn me. Instead, I want you to take my naked body and just throw it into the town square. So when Sisyphus dies, he gets into the underworld. God Hades of death and his wife Persephone are talking to Sisyphus. And Sisyphus begins to appeal to Persephone and he says, you know, I I can't really be at rest here because my my wife, that that wicked woman, she didn't give me a proper burial and funeral. She just threw my body out in the town square. And so I'm happy to come and die, but would you just let me go back and just like correct her so I can like die in peace? So Persephone says, okay, and she allows Sisyphus to go back to the, the earthly world to confront his wife. And Sisyphus never returns. And so he defeats death twice, and he goes on to live this avaricious life. And then when he dies this time, the gods say, well, this this can't stand. And so Sisyphus is given a punishment. Homer writes about it this way in the Odyssey. He says, then I witnessed the torture of Sisyphus as he wrestled with a huge rock with both hands. Bracing himself and thrusting with hands and feet, he pushed the boulder uphill to the top. But every time as he was about to send it, toppling over the crest, its sheer weight turned it back and once again toward the plain, the pitiless rock rolled down. So once more he had to wrestle with the thing and push it up while the sweat poured from his limbs and the dust rose high above his head." What does all this have to do with a cob and trees? So I was thinking about this understanding of deceitfulness as a hill, and I think about the influence of the Sisyphusian myth on the writers of the scripture. And I think about this trickster, Sisyphus and his fate. And so to read about deceitfulness conjures in the mind the picture of Sisyphus and his trickeration but also his fate in that he ends up in this place forever trying to crest and always falling back. And when I put that in the narrative of the scriptures which talks about the heart and the foolishness of man and how we try continually to save ourselves, it becomes the Sisyphusian effort where we're always almost there. We always think if I just was a little more skinny If I had a little more money, if I could obtain a little more power, a little more education, I will crest the hill. And just as it seems we're about to get there, we roll back down. And we start the race of self-preservation all over again. An endless turmoil. Maybe you're familiar with it. The heart is self-preserving in ways that still kill and destroy. Uh, the, the NIV which we're in says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Uh, the, some other translations say that it is, it is desperately wicked. Meaning that the ways that the heart tries to preserve itself, like Sisyphus, is by manipulation and conniving, it's by stealing, it's by, it's by throwing people under the bus. I will tear down the reputation of my wife if it'll give me another day to live. The scripture says that this is our heart. Some of you may say, okay, well that seems unfair because there are a lot of things I do that I'm not trying to save my own life. To which I would say, touche the scriptures would concur. Read it again, verse nine, the heart is deceitful above all things. There are all these other things that the heart is. There is goodness in our hearts. There is trustworthiness in our hearts. But like when you read the ingredients on the package, what comes first has the most concentration? Well, that's where deceitfulness lives. The heart, above all, seeks its own by its own means in persuasive and evasive ways. So some of us know this, this conniving in, in, the, in the active, right, where we, where we are the people that, that are, are greedy and are constantly like dealing to kinda s- secure their place in life. But it also happens in these evasive ways, right? So we disorder our eating and, and, and we fall in these patterns that starve ourselves, right? So that we can try to save our lives and to be what we think we need to be. We, we distance ourselves from community. We create conflict, shut off. It's not always the, the dagger in the hand that drives others from us, it's the ways in which we inoculate ourselves. But it's all trying to do the same thing, it's all trying to save our own lives. Scripture goes on, who can understand the heart? You may already feel a little activated or a little confronted it doesn't, maybe the things that I'm saying don't seem true to the way that you live or the way you understand yourself. I am currently in a, in a counseling psychology masters. Uh, I have so much free time. Um, <laughs> and as we unpack the psychology of, of, of people, what we're, we're coming to understand that, that you can't possibly know It is impossible to know the fullness of yourself. We are essentially the output of every person, space, experience, and thought we've ever encountered. I can't even remember what my wife said this morning, and yet it's in here. And there are things that are affecting you that you can't see, that you're blinded to. So this proposes a dilemma. Again, if then I am supposed to be a part of this rooted community and I'm I'm gonna do, I'm gonna live in such a way that it's gonna be a, a root for this this community, uh, but yet the very thing by which I live, my heart is, is deceitful and I can't even understand my own intentions, then how can this ever be a healthy place? What mechanisms would allow us to actually have a rooted community that brings about life? Well, we would need something that possesses the perspective and the power to guide and correct a wayward heart into a posture that trusts in the Lord and puts our confidence in him. This is what we find in Jesus. Isaiah 40 in this prophetic calling of of the one who is to come and and hearkens the, the picture of John the Baptist standing out in the desert says this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What Jesus has come to do is to level the plain, lower the hills, and raise the valleys so you can stop trying to push rocks up them. Where you can just walk and run in the light of the day. That is what Jesus offers. And this is why the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. This is the mechanism that allows us to do the how. The searching of the Lord and his examination. Now, that may sound like a, a, something of theory, that may sound like um, something abstract or ethereal, but it's not. This is actually a very pragmatic and practical thing that the Lord is, is, is giving to us here. E- Hebrews 4 and 12 says this, the word of God, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's doing surgery on us, which is painful. to be into relationship with Jesus is to know pain deeply. Please do not be fooled otherwise. To be a part of this rooted community and to allow the Lord to examine you will be one of the hardest things that one could do. But not all pain is bad. When we're speaking about what the Lord is doing and in the context of this community, one thing that we have to understand that there's a difference between being confronted and being contorted. To be confronted is when you are challenged because of a deviation from the mean. It calls you to face the truth. You have to wrestle with something. But to be contorted is to take something That is that stasis, and that is plain, and to bend it, and to pull it out of shape. What I'm trying to talk about here is the difference between spiritual accountability and spiritual abuse. I think it's something we have to talk about if we're gonna talk about being a community and being a part of essentially this rooted community. The difference between spiritual accountability and spiritual abuse is found here in our text when it says that I, the Lord, searches the heart. If the rooted community is based on me telling you what to do and making sure that your life measures up to my standard, that will contort you. That's why this passage doesn't say, I, the pastor, or I, the community group leader, or I, the elder, or I, that really well-intentioned person sitting next to you. But it says, I, the Lord. He's the only one that's got the perspective and the power to do it. And so how this works then as a rooted community is we base the whole conception around rule of life. If you aren't familiar with rule of life, essentially a rule of life is the intentional practices that you keep that build intimacy with Jesus. Not declare your religiosity. Not prove your spirituality. These are practices that call you into abiding. And they're based on your personality, it's founded in your season of life. It's indicative of your stage of faith. And so I sit and I say, Lord, what what does active participation in the family of God look like? I believe that when you say that you should not forsake the gathering together, you're calling me to be in community with your people, right? So I believe that to, to abide with you, to, to experience this, this confidence in you, there has to be some aspect of that in my life. Well, what does this look like? When I'm in school and I'm working and I've got this kid, well, probably means I can't show up to everything. So I've gotta pick my spots. But man, I can make like men's prayer. I'll, I'll that is a place where I can be a part of my brothers and I'm gonna do that. Like I, that's gonna lead me into fellowship with you. In that place, when I go to men's prayer, what happens is I end up seeing you when people pray for me, when they hear me out and reminds me that you love me and that you are attuned to me. And so I put that in my rule of life. Maybe that's it. And maybe when this degree is done, this expands, and I, t- and, I, and I pour into other things as needed. Or maybe men's prayer just actually isn't working, so I have to change it. This is a dynamic reality. But we set these rule of lives. So we set these practices. But these practices, because they're rooted in, the, in allowing the Lord to examine us, they can then lead life. They can give us life, right? And so then I do this in the context of community. So to be a part of our rooted community, all that's required is that you will have a a confession of faith. I am here for Jesus. I love you all, but Jesus is why I'm here. I, I am following his lead. And you've just gone through this rule of life, this good way, which is really just us making sure that we're using the same language and same understandings about what it means to be intentional about abiding with Jesus. But you're gonna craft your own rule of life and you do that in conversations with others and we learn from others and how they're doing it and we examine ourselves. And then I take this rule of life and I come into this rooted community and I say, hey, rooted community, Uh, I know we all have a shared rooted community of how we're gonna operate as a church, but my own individual, rule of life, this is what it looks like. I invite you to hold me into account for this. And so now when people come along and they confront you, they're not confronting you because you're not doing the thing that they want you to do, and you're not doing the thing that's on their rule of life, you're not following Jesus necessarily in the way that they are, but this is the way that you said you were finding intimacy with Jesus. And so I just wanna make sure that you're doing that, because that. Because in intimacy with Jesus, you will find life. He will be able to confront the deceitfulness of your heart. He will be able to to raise the hills you keep trying to push your life up. So I call you, my brother, my sister, remember when you said, that Sabbath was so necessary because you needed a moment to remember you aren't just what you do in this high-capacity job you're in. And I just see you, and every time I see you, you're stressed out. And when I ask you, how's your Sabbath going? Well, you know, I had to get this thing done, it's a big client. And so I'm gonna call you to remembrance. And then you have a choice. Cool, thank you. Help me to change, I might need help. Or thank you for the reminder. Thank you for pushing back on me. Here's where I need your support. Or you can say, you know what? No, I'm gonna keep pushing this, this rock up a hill. Thanks but no thanks. And in that place, What happens as a community is that we then just release you to that Sisyphusian effort. And we say, hey, I mean, okay, if that's what you want, please be released. But as this rooted community, what we are trying to do, what we have given ourselves to, is being those whose trust is in the Lord and whose confidence is in Him, being like trees that are planted by the rivers who are sending our roots out to the stream. That's what we're trying to do here. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? Rule of life are practices that ritualize intimacy with Jesus, which enables influence, change and growth. So since we're based on rule of life, and which is, is codified in, in what the scriptures teaches us about the character of God and the invitations of God, into intimacy and not based on some man-made philosophy, what it should then in turn do is lead us into abiding with Jesus. And here's what Jesus says about abiding with him in John 15:5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing push boulders up a hill, over and over again. But with me, there's fruit. And this is the difference, and this is one of the the biggest signs of of a place of spiritual abuse or a place of spiritual accountability, is, is, is fruit being produced in your life. Because if this rooted community is about you living the way that I need you to live so that I can be comfortable in the power that I've been given and comfortable with myself and and I'm making you look like me, well, then that's going to produce death in you. And it'll be evident in the anxiety you keep when you walk into this place. It'll be evident in the frustrations you bear out when you get asked to do something again and again without regard for, for what's even going on in your life. But if it's rooted in a, in a, in a body with Jesus, and, and, this, and this is a two-way street, so even as, as a rooted community member, you're asking of, of this church, of this community, if we are holding ourselves to the things that we agree to, well, then that creates life. I'll give you a small example. Uh, one of our practices is, is active participation in the family of God. And it's, it's that we're going to be intentional About being in relationship, and uh, you know, this past Christmas, Christmas fell on this. It fell on a Sunday. It was a weird thing. And uh, usually, we have a a Christmas Eve service. And and talking as as a leadership and as a as a pastoral team, it just made sense that hey, we'll just create a way for people to like meet in their houses and on their own, Uh, and we won't have any sort of service or anything. And so we went like two really three weeks without any sort of gathering. And it felt like the wisest thing to do among us. And then I remember coming back into town and a dear sister who was a part of this community, but who's also, who's also a native, she's not a transplant like myself, for which home and holidays often exist elsewhere. And she said, hey, um, question, you said that we were about being rooted in family, and yet when it came time to celebrate this like, holiday that's important to all of us, there was no real mechanism for family here. What gives? And I had to hold that, because in part, this all flows from my decision. And so she had to confront me and I had to receive it. And I had to think, okay, that's a great point. I was blinded. And in this area, maybe I didn't do, I didn't actually live up to the fullness of, 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 of what I think it means for us to abide in Jesus as a family, and so this is great. And so how I think uh, I will ask for your support is when it comes around to Christmas of, of 2023, uh, I, I'm gonna need your voice to help me think about what it means, how we're gonna celebrate that as a family. It's a two-way street. It's community, accountability, support. It bears fruit. I gotta wrap up. (laughs) Here's, gonna end here. Uh, What we do matters. Abiding with Jesus matters because it will create life in us. So Jeremiah ends with this 17, end of 10, to reward, I, the Lord, search the heart, and examine the mind. Why? So that he can reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Because Jesus has the proper perspective on our lives and because he actually does know because he stands outside of time and is present in all things everywhere, he actually can hold all the experiences, places, spaces, and thoughts that you've ever held. And so he actually does know the full tenor of your heart. And so from that place, what he offers you is the outflow of that. He gives you what, you want, because the Lord doesn't force himself upon you. He says, if if you've chosen me, I will give you all of me. So much more you can't handle it. And if you've chosen destruction, well, I'll give you that. I'll allow you to just keep pushing up the rock, because you have to have agency and autonomy. This is what it means to be free and to live. And that looks like Reward in the positive. It looks like destruction in the negative. But it's what we've chosen. There's a very quick story. Numbers 20. Moses is in charge of the people of God. They're thirsty. He's got to give them something to drink. He goes to the Lord. The Lord tells him, hey, go out to that rock and, and speak to it. Uh, Moses hears that, but then in his uh, pompousness and his hubris, he goes out to the people with his brother and he says, you guys want want some water? Here, I'll give you some water and he hits the rock. And what happens? Water flows out of the rock and the people drink. But because he did that, Because he wanted to create for himself. And because Moses didn't want to to trust in the abundance and the provision of God, he isn't allowed to come into the full manifestation of that, which was the promised land. The promised land was to teach the Israelites that God wanted to provide for them richly. But he wanted to provide for them. Moses wanted to provide for himself. So God says, okay, then you don't actually have to come into the provision that I have for you. You won't. It may seem harsh, but it's what Moses chose in his actions. What we do matters. Galatians 6 through 7 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. I'm not just going to lay out this table for you, and then let you come in and say, uh, "I'm not going to eat that." I'm not going to just push push all my work off the table, and then expect me to go make you something, make you the chicken nuggets that you want. It's not how it works in the Boatwright House. But it's also not how it works in the Lord's table. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. If you wanna go it your own way, then I will allow you to continue in your own way. But whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Parentheses that life starts now, not just when you die. The goodness of the Lord starts now, carries through forever. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and... How this rooted community is going to work is that we are going to profess the Lordship of Jesus over our life, and then we're going to establish communal and individual rhythms of abiding with Jesus. And then we're gonna try not to grow weary in living those things out, and finding Him together. Uh, the Good Way has, has already begun, so it's too late to jump in now, but that's okay. You're gonna have another chance in the fall to jump in. And some of you have already taken The Good way, so you already know what, about Rule of Life, you already know what practices we have, and this week you will be receiving an email that, uh, that allows you to go ahead and get started in the process of joining that rooted community if you choose. Um, and so I say that as we move to our invitation. So for those of you who are like, I get it, I'm in. Let's work it out, together. Great, look for that email this week, it's gonna give you next steps. For those of you who are like, all right, I need some more, uh, then you maybe already are in the good way, into which I say keep going, this will all continue to make more sense. Uh, if not, just hang on for the fall, you'll be able to jump in then, and that'll be great. And then some of you haven't even got to that first step, of just professing Jesus as Lord over your life. Uh, and for you, I just, just say there's, there's an invitation. Uh, yeah, there's an invitation. It's a very simple thing. Uh, the scriptures say that one must only... Confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord and they will be saved. That's what it means to have a profession of faith. And then we follow in baptism as this, as just, this is declaration. It's our first step of obedience. Would you stand? To confess with your mouth. To confess is really just to tell the truth. So here's what I would love to do for our invitation today. I would invite us into a time which is telling the truth. What I mean by that is uh, maybe that just needs to start with you and I wanna invite you. There's like these rugs here. There's nothing particularly magical about them, um, but there is something mystical. There is something that happens when we kind of just get on our knees or sit before the Lord. And I just want to invite you that maybe you would start there, that you would just come and just kind of listen to the Lord and the Spirit of God as it brings up in your heart those things you need to tell the truth about. I would invite you to make space for that. And then there are gonna be people along these lines that are here to pray for you. And if you want, and if it, if it feels healthy and appropriate in this setting to, to bring that confession forward, these are trustworthy people who will both receive that confession, pray for you, appoint you, towards our pastoral team or any other resources to help you navigate the implications of your confession. The gospel of Jesus is liberating. It frees you from having to push a stone up a hill. So if you've been doing that, I would invite you to come and sit and think about it. And If you need to name that before somebody, there would be people here to pray for you. And then we will come and we will worship the Lord together and then in a minute, Gemma will come and take us to the table. So, I'm gonna pray first and then we're just gonna start moving as we need to. Come and confess and tell the truth because the truth will set you free. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are leading us into intimacy and that by intimacy, there is fruit. And by this fruit, we both live and offer life to others in your name we pray amen